You'll be glad to know that the sermon today is really the, the tail end of what we've been looking at the last three, we are the last two weeks. Uh, so uh, it will be abbreviated just on the basis that it's kind of summary of what he has been, what Jesus has been teaching his disciples. So go ahead and find Luke 21. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the back of the pew and uh, you can open up to the gospel of Luke and it's uh, going to be chapter 21 and we're going to be looking at verses 29 through 36. If you have a program guide and you like to take notes on the back of your program guide, uh, you can write the title of the sermon today. It is our mission to shine. It is our mission to shine. And so that'll make sense. That title will make sense because it comes from the text uh, that we'll see here in just a moment. So uh, again, let me encourage you to take uh, use of the back of your program guide for notes. So what Jesus has been doing over the last several weeks is introducing to us, or not really introducing, he's been saying what he's already said about these two judgments. There is an immediate judgment that was going to take place in the lifetime of the Jews in Jesus' day. We know because of history looking back that the judgment that Jesus was talking about was the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. And that took place, uh, and when that took place, the entire city of Jerusalem, the temple and everything was wiped out. And it was nothing more than a wasteland, but it was a fulfillment of what Christ had been saying. And so we saw, according to everything Jesus said, it happened. At the same time, Jesus is connecting the judgment in Jerusalem, what is going to take place. You got to remember, Jesus is situated in about AD 30 to AD 35. And he's talking about within the next 40 years, a judgment, but he's connecting that judgment to another judgment that we know has not yet taken place. In over 2,000 years, this second judgment has not happened. But the destruction of Jerusalem is foreshadowing that final judgment. And so you see a highway that's running parallel. One is mercy and one is judgment. There are, at the time of Christ, we see the death of Christ. We see his burial, his resurrection. We see that great act of redemption and mercy. But then we see the fulfillment of what Christ said would happen in Jerusalem. And it was utter destruction of the temple. He obliterated the Judeo system of religion. And so we see that he's making this connection, though, that there will be another judgment there will be a future judgment in which God will destroy the whole earth. There will be a new order that God ushers in and he makes all things new. And we look forward to that. Uh, not to the judgment part, but to the making all things new part. But between the two judgments, we have an intermediate period. We have the period between the judgment in Jerusalem, the times of Christ, the first coming and the second coming and this final judgment. And in between these two happenings, we live in this intermediate that the Bible calls the time of the Gentiles. If you don't know what a Gentile is, that's you. Unless you're a Jew, you're a Gentile. A Gentile is anybody that's not of Jewish descent. 
And so he calls this intermediate the time of the Gentiles. The destruction of Jerusalem was a fulfillment of what Christ had said. Remember the parable to the caretakers of the vineyard? He said that I had given you this vineyard to take care of. You failed. I'm taking what was given to you and I'm giving it to someone else. And he says, this is the time. This time of the Gentiles. He has given this gospel. He has given this message of redemption to those who are outside of the Jewish descent, of the Jewish nation. And so when he tells all of these things that are happening, are going to happen, you can imagine what everybody thought. First of all, like there's no way that God's going to do this. The other question they, they had that was really more pressing is when? When is this going to happen? I don't know that there is a more desired question than when. If something important is coming up, the first thing people ask is when? When is that going to happen? You make an announcement. When is that? We want to know when. But Jesus is not concerned with answering their question of when. Now, he answers it and he answers it explicitly. But do you know what he's more concerned with? For his disciples, for those who believe in Jesus, this is what he's discerned with. In this intermediate time, he's more concerned with how you live until it happens. So he doesn't get all into the wins, but he does get into the before it does happen, here's what you need to be thinking about. Here's how you need to be living. So brothers, sisters and sisters and friends, that question is relevant to us today. How do I live in this strange overlap between the first coming of Christ and, and his markers of judgment and this next coming of Christ where he says that he's coming again and a future judgment? How do we live in the intermediate? How do we conduct ourselves? What is to be our attitudes, our motives and our actions? Because let's just be honest, as a Christian, it's very strange, isn't it? Because we belong to the kingdom of God, but we live in this present kingdom. And this present kingdom is very tempting. I mean, there are things in this world, let's just be honest, we like. We like things that are not good for us too. Ice cream. It's not good for you, but we like it. But more spiritually speaking and more important issues are, are, are issues of spiritual nature. There are things that we, that we know we ought not like, but we like it. And we're tempted by those things. So we live in this intermediate. It's a really weird time, a really odd time, an awkward time for those who are believers who know better. I know I shouldn't, but man, I really do like that. And so we are kind of in a tug of war in this intermediate. Now, Jesus gives us explicitly some things uh, that we need to be on the lookout for. And number one, he says, one thing you need to be careful about is false religions. Uh, wolves in sheep clothing look like sheep. And anything that's close to the gospel is not the gospel. 99% of the of something that if something is 99% close to the gospel, it's still not the gospel. 
And he's saying, you better beware. You better be careful because there will be many who will come in my name. How many of you ever just scratch your head and you look all the churches, all the different religions, and you're just like, man, this is confusion. Let me get you out. Jesus didn't author confusion. What he did say is there's going to be a lot of people that's going to come in my name. They're going to throw a steeple on their church. They're going to wear bumper stickers that says, what would Jesus do? And they're going to do all this stuff, but they're not going to be of me. But there's going to be a lot of mimics, a lot of false preachers and a lot of false teachers that are out there. And by the way, I have no problem with you looking at me suspect. Does that apply to you, Brother Greg? The warning applies to everybody who's a believer. And we should engage everything we hear through the Word of God. As I told you repeatedly, that's why we preach verse by verse through the Bible. So that you can check out what I'm saying. Another thing Jesus says is we're not to be given into fear. So in other words, when the world is falling apart all around us for the believer, that should not affect your confidence and your boldness in Christ. You shouldn't be beholden to the same fears as everybody else is. You're different. You have a hope that other people don't have. That's why for me as a Christian, death is not a bad thing. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. I don't have a death wish. I don't want to die. I want to be here with my family, you, the people I love. It's not like that there's a, a desire to die, but let me tell you what there is a desire. There is a desire to go be with Jesus. And so Christians are weird in that way. There's some things we just shouldn't be afraid of. Folks, we shouldn't be afraid of anything except God. All right. Thirdly, he says, straighten up, lift up your heads and live in confidence. It's the same thing as what I was just saying, except here you are to conduct yourself in a manner that you're not all slumped over and just looking down all the time. You are straightened up. You're living with confidence while everybody else is living in fear and foreboding. You are living in the confidence of who you are in Christ. Now, Jesus has been saying these things. After telling them these things, he looks at his disciples and he tells them this parable. So start with me there in verse 29. He says, to them, he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see yourselves and know, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. You and I presently in March are just coming out of winter. And winter is that dark, gloomy, dreary, cold time of the year that can, in many ways, lead life to feeling kind of bleak because we're stuck inside all of the time and it's, it's cold, the clouds are gray, and everything just looks gloomy. Everything's dead. The grass is yellow, the trees have no leaves, but when spring finally comes, you begin to see the trees begin to bud out again. You begin to see plants and those annuals that you planted years ago begin to blossom and to bring new life with them. And it's a beautiful time. I love this time of the year except for pollen. Everything else I'll take. 
I love this kind of year though. It just gives this feeling of new life and enjoyment and excitement. But let's forget about what spring looks like. Let's forget what it represents and focus on what it reminds us of. Because what does spring ultimately tell us? Spring is like an announcement. Summer is coming. It's a, and it's a springboard into summer. And so it's announcing to us that summer is near. When Jesus is teaching this lesson on the fig tree, and it's really all trees, but figs were a part of the Jewish culture. And they loved it when the summer came and the harvest came and they could go grab a fig off of that tree and eat it. So you can really put whatever fruit you want to in the blank here. He says it's all trees. That there is something to look forward to. It's coming. Spring is announcing that there is a day of harvest that is coming. It's inevitable that the day of harvest is coming. But more important than that, you can't do anything to stop it. You know, I've heard people say all the time, man, if we could just live in spring all the time, if we could just live in the, in the fall, kind of in the, in, the, in the intermediate times, because we love that time. And so some people may not like summer. Some of you may not like summer, but you can't do anything to stop it from coming, can you? There's nothing you can do. And so what Jesus is showing his disciples is that there is a season that you are in. There's a season that's coming and you can't do anything about it. So he goes on to say in verse 31, so also when you see these things take place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Now, what things is Jesus talking about? Well, he's already told us. And now he's about to tell us again. Look at what he says in verse 32. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Now he's talking to his generation, not you. He's talking to those who were listening to him speak, that generation. And so again, remember that when Jesus is saying all of this, the date is around AD 30, AD 35, somewhere in that range. And he says to you, there are some things that are going to take place and this generation that I'm talking to will experience it. Now, he's not saying every single one in that generation, but he's saying that generation. In the days of Christ, a generation was 40 years. When did the, you've already heard me say it for three weeks now, when did the destruction of Jerusalem take place? A.D. what? 70. If it's around A.D. 30, 35, when Jesus is saying that, guess what he's got? 40-year window. And that's what he's telling them. You want to know when? I'll tell you when. This generation will not take place until it sees the judgment of God upon Jerusalem. You will see this outpouring of judgment. You will see the destruction. And it happened just like he said. And within the span of 40 years, all of these things took place. Remember what I said last week? Liberal scholars say that what Jesus said was so precise to the detail of everything that took place in Jerusalem, liberal scholars, those who don't believe that Jesus was divine, they say there's no way Jesus could have lived in AD 30 or 35. He had to have lived after Jerusalem because they said it was too perfect of a prediction. And remember what I said? 
when you're God, you can say things. And he predicted just what was going to happen within the span of 40 years to that generation that it was talking to. And he was saying, you will see these things taking place. And just know, when it does, the kingdom of God is near. And what he's doing is showing them that he is existing, that there are two things happening within this intermediate. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. What Jesus is saying is that it's for certain. When spring shows up, summer will most certainly come. It's coming and you can't stop it. But even more powerful than the seasons is the word of God. In fact, the whole world, the universe and everything is more capable. It's more probable to fail than the word of God. And what he is showing here is the strength that's in his word. His word is ironclad. You know, there are some things that you and I just can't trust. Like contracts. You know what they say about contracts? Contracts are made to be broken. You can't trust in a contract. You go into a contract with trust and that's why we sign to hold accountability. But contracts don't always give us the guarantee that we hope that it would. We can't trust in the U.S. Constitution. And before you get offended, let me just say, judges and congressional leaders are, in mis are in reinterpreting it every single day. My point is, it's not the document's got a problem, it's just our interpretation of it. And people change it all the time. We can't trust people. There are people that you admire that will fail you. People that you look up to who will fail you. They will let you down. Friends that you thought would never hurt you will hurt you and turn their backs on you. We can't trust that our military is strong enough to withhold against invading armies. We put a lot of stock in our military, our technology, and our strength. And you and I go to bed at night thanking God for the military. But what does history teach us about military? Sometimes Davids beat Goliaths. There have been many wars fought where the underdog wins. So we can't just trust in our military strength. We can't trust in people. We can't trust in contracts. There are a lot of things we can't trust. But brothers and sisters, what Jesus is saying here is what you can trust in is in my word. You can trust in the word of God because the word of God will never, ever fail. And this is what the lesson of the fig tree is showing us. When we see the destruction of Jerusalem, we know that we are in the times of the Gentiles. We know that fulfillment of everything Jesus has said in the first coming is taking place. And now we're in this springtime, if you would, this intermediate time where God is continuing to work and will do so until he comes again and in the final judgment. But what Jesus continues in his line of thinking is how to live. How do you, brothers and sisters, live in this intermediate time? How are Christians to live today in 2023? This is for every generation of Christian. And so first, Jesus warns against spiritual distractions. He warns against spiritual distractions. Look at what he says with these two words, watch yourselves. The word watch here means more to just look at. He's not saying go get into a mirror and 
watch yourself. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, take out your phone, record yourself, and then watch yourself. He's saying to prepare. He's saying to be alert, to be ready. There's a popular diet called Weight Watchers. Weight Watchers doesn't mean look at how much you weigh. <laughs> Weight Watchers has an idea. And the idea is that you watch what you put in your mouth. You watch, you prepare, you guard yourself against things that you shouldn't receive. That's what it means here to watch. He's saying, don't let certain things in. And we need to be careful because we let too much in, we get spiritually distracted, right? Notice what he says, Luke 21, 34, but watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down. Have any of you been weighed down lately? I mean, it can be through a number of things. But let me just make a confession to you. I don't know about you, but the racial division and tension in our country has really weighed me down recently. We're dealing with issues between race that I thought was resolved and worked away some years ago, but there are people actively trying to tear black people and white people literally apart. Critical race theory and intersectionality, the woke mob, they show us that, yeah, there may be some problems, but here's what they don't show you, how to fix them. And so all they ever do is point out to you how wrong you are for being right or how wrong you are for being black. Everything is negative and everybody is a loser. Black people are told you will never succeed in a white culture. And white people are told that you're evil just because you're white. No one wins. And I listen to these political puppets talk about all of these issues and all they're doing is signaling to this group or that group or virtue signaling, trying to sound like they're righteous or good because they're saying things. But you know, I, I look at that. I'm sitting here saying these things and you're starting to feel the weight. That's the problem. I listen to these things and I begin to get weighted down. And I begin to to allow these things to burden me. And you know what? Jesus says, watch yourself. Be careful that you don't get weighted down. You know what? There's some things in this world that's just not my problem. That's just not my problem. And when I take those things on myself, I begin to get weighted down. Look at what he says, verse 34. But watch yourselves, lest you be weighted down with dispensation. Dissipation, excuse me, dissipation. Dissipation is a word that describes being intoxicated. And Jesus is talking about this in a spiritual context. And what he is saying here is you are not to be intoxicated on all of the world's problems. And all of the things that are going on in the world, you shouldn't be getting drunk on those things. 
There are some people that cannot live apart from the news, apart from what's happening and what's going on in somebody's life and this and this is what it looks like. You know what all that is? It's just leading you to be intoxicated on problems that are not yours. And he's saying, watch yourselves. Let you be weighted down with things that are yours to be weighted down by. We watch the news. We listen to Twitter. We listen to social media and threads and Facebook and all of the issues going on in the world. And the next thing you know, we've been brought down so low. Because what we've done is we've just spent hours and in many of our lives, we spend every single day watching this garbage, taking it in and we're just getting intoxicated on the world's problems. And he's saying, listen, when you live in springtime, when you Christians live in the intermediate between the two advents of Christ, his first and second coming, there are some things you ought not do. You ought not be so consumed with the world's problems that it's a burden to you and weighting you down. And there's some of you right now that need to make decisions that you're going to put some things down this week and not continue to live weighted down under burdens that are not yours to carry. And that's what he's saying here. Watch what you take in. Watch what you bring in. Now, in the same context, he uses the word dissipation and most commentators just kind of view that as one whole. I think they're different. Because he uses the word in dissipation, which means intoxicated, but then he used the words drunkenness. But what does that mean? I believe it's both sides of the same coin. There are some people who get intoxicated on the world's problems, and then there are some people who get drunk to escape the world problems. They literally get drunk. They literally do drugs. They literally find ways to escape all of the problems in the world. And so it's a form of escapism. And I don't care what you call it. You can call it drugs, alcohol, sex, success, money. That you're doing something, entertainment, to get away from all the problems. And so we use other means that we get just as drunk on. And we've really solved nothing. So he's saying here, I think that he's spinning the same coin, but there's two sides of it. One of them, you shouldn't be so concerned about everything going on in the world that it just has you burdened down. And the other thing you don't need to be doing is trying to escape everything going on in the world through finding other forms of entertainment or ways to drown out all the noise. And so if you have a problem with everything and you just said, I just need to go get drunk to get away from all of this. I need to do something to satisfy myself, to get away from all of this. He's saying to believers, when you live in the springtime, there's some things you ought not do. And then he says here another word, the cares of life. But watch yourselves lest your heart be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. When Jesus mentions the cares of this life, he is talking about the problems we face personally. Some people literally live in their problems. In fact, some people have learned to enjoy their problems. Let me, let me give you a description of this person. One word, victim. This person has been weighed down through certain circumstances in life. It could be physical, some physical illness, and it could be many physical illness. It could be one thing right after the other. It could be 
issues in family. You didn't have a good family life. You didn't have this opportunity. You didn't have this opportunity. You were born this way or you were born that way. And the next thing you know and it, and, and is that we have literally been told by the world and society that we've got all these problems. And so the next thing you realize, we're a victim. And we're so focused on our own lives that all we can ever see is the bad. And here's what people do. They feed on the pity of others. And so every time they talk, all they're talking about is their problems. All they're talking about is the woe is me, the poor me, the sad me, the this me, the that me. Sometimes we need to just dismiss me. It's not about you. And what Jesus is saying is, if you're not careful living in this intermediate time, spring, you're either going to get so fixated on the world that it's going to make you weighted down like somebody who's drunk. Or you're going to be so overcome by the world that you're going to go get drunk. Or you're going to be so burdened down by your own problems that you've become a victim. And you can't see anything good because it's all about you. If you let the cares of this life rule you, brothers and sisters, you will never be anything more than a victim. That's just who you will be. And Jesus is saying to you as a believer, these things ought not be in your life. This is not who you are. So he says, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation. That's getting drunk on the problems of the world. Drunkenness, that's getting drunk to escape the problems of the world. And the cares of the life, that's your personal problems that you've learned to love your misery in. And then he says this little caveat, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. You see, here's the point. If you're not careful, that day that you've heard, for most of you who've grown up in church, you've heard about that day for a long time. Some of you, you've heard about that day for 60 years, 70 years. Some of you are really old and you've been hearing for it a long time. But you've been hearing about that day. There's a day coming. We know Christ came just like He predicted the first time. He will come again. Just like He promised He would. It's ironclad. It's in His Word. He's coming again. And here's what He's saying. If we're not careful, we'll be found either fixated on the world's problems. We'll either be fixated on supplicating the world's problems with other problems to escape the world's problems. To get numbness. Or we'll be fixated on our personal problems, living as a victim. And it could be that you're so fixated on everything else that when Jesus comes, the one thing that you'll not be fixated on is Jesus. Suppose that you're one of those, in, in one of those three categories, you've identified which one you belong to. You're either the victim, you're either the one trying to escape problems all the time, or you're the one focusing on all the world's problems. All of a sudden, he comes back. And he's found you fixated 
on yourself, but not fixated on him. He says, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Verse 36, but stay awake at all times. So with spiritual distractions associated with that is spiritual laziness. He says, but stay awake at all times praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. In other words, there's a day in which has been appointed where Christ will be there and you will have to stand in front of Him to give an account of what happened in the spring. A spiritual lazy person is not synonymous with a spiritually ignorant person. Because a spiritually lazy person is somebody who does, does know the Lord. A spiritually lazy person is someone who believes that they're going to be with God when they die because they've put their faith in Jesus Christ and they've trusted in the Lord to forgive them of their sins. But because they're so spiritually lazy, they've gotten intoxicated on the world's problems. They've gotten drunk to escape the world's problems. And then they're, or they're a victim living in their own problems. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about forgetting oneself, denying yourself, taking up your cross and following me. The problems that we are faced with in our world today, I believe, are nothing short of we've simply made life all about me. And very few people are dying to self. Because it's not about making other people happy. It's not about serving other people. It's not about living in humility. It's about your needs, your feelings, your wants, your desires. And if you've stepped over the threshold of who God has called you to be into this spiritually lazy individual, where, yeah, I know all of these things about God, but... You're probably a pretty miserable person. You're probably a pretty miserable person. Remember when Jesus was in the garden praying? He had his disciples and he went away from them. You remember that picture? Does that not picture springtime? Here he is with them. He goes away over here to pray. And what did he say before he went away? He said, pray that you don't fall into temptation. I believe it's absolutely reminiscent of what he's saying here. And he gives us that picture. And Jesus goes away. Remember what happened? He comes back. And what was Peter doing? What were the disciples doing? They were sleeping. Man, yeah, I just think, Man, you guys were with Jesus. You couldn't have stayed awake just a little bit? Let me tell you something. You put your name in the margin, he would have found you sleeping too. But do you know why they were sleeping? Did anybody ever deal with that question? Here's why I believe they were sleeping. Because they knew something was going to happen. They just didn't know when. And as far as they were concerned, it was something so far out in the distant that it didn't really concern them right then. Brother John Michael, I'm convinced that most people live as if Jesus is never going to come again. 
They don't expect that He's going to come back in an hour in which they do not know. The Bible tells us that it will be like a trap. You know what a trap is? You never saw it coming. And so He tells them to pray for two things. Pray that you'll have the strength to endure everything that He's been talking about. All the temptations, all the challenges in the springtime and this intermediate time. And then second, pray that on the day of judgment when it comes, that they'll be able to stand in the presence of Jesus. That you'll be able to stand there with confidence, knowing that you've been faithful and you've been awake. And you haven't been sleeping at the wheel. Remember, he's talking to believers. This is not a judgment for salvation. This is a judgment from salvation. It's a judgment of works. We are praying that our works will glorify God. We are praying for spiritual endurance. And we're praying for hearts that please God. I'm going to close with a, these few last few comments. I want to read from 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. Listen to what Paul said in relationship to what we're learning here today. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a what? A thief in the night. For those of you who really aren't familiar with Christian language, you do at least understand that thieves don't announce when they're coming. No thief in the history of the world ever called and said, I'll be there in 30 minutes. Doesn't happen. While people are saying there's peace and security, they think everything is good, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Here he's talking to those who are lost. But he's also talking to those who are saved. The same coming is affecting both groups of people. One, they will be destroyed. They will be Judge, they will be found without having any faith in Jesus whatsoever. But then there will be some who may get, who may be found being lazy in their faith. He says this, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. In other words, I've told you, I'm coming. I've told you, I'm coming. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober for those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since you belong to the day, let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet of hope and of salvation, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Brothers and sisters, today we live between winter and summer. We live between that first advent and the second advent of Christ. The leaves are budding, but today we are in the shade of the fig tree. But one day we will get to enjoy the fruit. As of today, 
You and I are just a little over 2,000 years of living in this intermediate period, the time of the Gentiles. But this time only shows us that there's another time coming. And the end is associated with that time. But you and I will stand before God and we will give an account of the works done in our lives. There will be some, though, who will stand before God without faith. Those who will be found without Christ. Folks, it's as simple as this. As I said last week, I do not believe that there are any encumbrances upon Christ's return. He could come right now. He could come in five minutes. And there will be people that He will be finding without faith in Him. They've never trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And they will stand in the presence of God, not belonging to Him. Now I have a question for those of you who are saved. For those of you who know if Jesus was to come back today, you'd be with Him forever. Here's your question. Is there anybody you hate so much that you would not share with them the gospel of Jesus, so that on that day it may not be a day of wrath, but a day of joy. There are some people that I really don't like. There are some people that I would not want to live on a deserted island together with. That's just truth. But there's not one person in the world that I want to go to hell. There's not one person. And so I say to you as a pastor, as a preacher of the gospel this morning, even though predominantly this message is for those of you who are Christians, there could be those of you in this room today that if Jesus Christ came back, He would find you not in a relationship with Him because you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know, the hope of the gospel is just that it's hope. And you and I have been entrusted just as the Jews were entrusted with all of these promises. He's entrusted you as Gentiles, Christians, with the gospel message to go and tell other people. And when Jesus comes again, will He find us being spiritually lazy? Is there anybody that you need to share the gospel with? And are you willing to face Jesus without sharing the gospel? Is there anyone you need to forgive? I want to ask you a question. Are you willing to face Jesus with unforgiveness in your heart? Is there a family member that you are at odds with or a church member that you are mad at that you are willing, that you, you haven't resolved? Are you willing to face Jesus with that unresolved anger and heart and unforgiveness in you? Is there any sins that you have not confessed? If Jesus came back, are you willing to face Jesus with those unconfessed sins? If Jesus were to come back later today, what do you need to do right now to be right? What do you need to do right now? You see, for those of us who are children of light, it is our mission to shine. It is our mission to radiate Christ. And so let us be bright Jesus. Father God, I pray that your word would find root in our hearts, that we would be convicted heavy 
under conviction this morning, not with a burden that we have to bear, but a burden that we can cast away. Lord, your word tells us that we can cast our burdens at the feet of Jesus. And Lord, I pray for those who are heavy laden and burdened down with anything this morning, that it would be with a conviction of heart and with a desire to come to you with faith and repentance, to seek your wisdom and guidance, to ask you for your help. Lord, I pray that you would just overwhelm your people today with a desire to anticipate this, this coming. Lord, knowing that we live in the springtime, but all the spring shows us is summer's coming. Lord, there will be a day in which Christ will come again. May we be found faithful. May we be found engaging in things that honor you. Lord Jesus, help us to straighten up, lift up our heads, walk in confidence, to not live in fear, to live filled with life and hope and joy, and to know that we can find all of that in Christ through a relationship with you, walking with you daily in fellowship, living in humility, bearing up with one another. Lord God, help us. May you get glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.